0: This is a really hard passage that we're going to be looking at. And so if this is your first Sunday, honestly, this would not be the choice of passages that I would pick for someone's first Sunday. Last Sunday, we talked about sex and sex in marriage, and that, that was a little awkward. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about divorce. And this is what we do as a church. We, we largely on Sundays preach through books of the Bible, and we go where the word of God leads us. And so sometimes it leads us into places we wouldn't necessarily choose, and topics we wouldn't necessarily choose, but they're topics we need. These are areas that our hearts need to be transformed in, and so the Lord is leading us into this topic this morning, and I believe he has something profound to say to us. Things that that are going to be important, whether you're someone who the, the reality of divorce is real or whether you're somebody that that has a very strong marriage. There is a word for you this morning from from the scriptures. And so if you have not opened your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 7, uh, please do so. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 16 as Mick read for us. And let's be honest, there are few wounds that cut as deeply as divorce. The marriage bond is meant to be this unbreakable, bedrock, strong covenant that when that relationship is severed in divorce, it is the equivalent of the bedrock of the earth being fractured. And even if you make it out okay, so to speak, the wound and the gash that causes is not easily filled and healed and covered over. And the, the ripple effects often carry on for years and even a lifetime. This is not to say that at times there are biblical grounds for divorce, and sometimes that is a good and wise decision. But even in those cases, the wound that is caused in divorce is deep and profound. And sadly, in our culture, the attitude towards marriage and divorce is sort of a me focused attitude. An attitude that, that sees marriage about my fulfillment, my happiness, my identity, living my best self, my truest self, and not, not, not even the, the covenant of marriage, that un- what is to be an unbreakable bond, can keep people from treating marriage just like any other relationship as a commodity. As long as it serves my needs, makes me happy, serves my purpose, I'll hold on to it, but the moment it stops doing that, I'm going to chuck it. And again, this is... Not to say that there aren't biblical reasons to get divorced, but for every one biblically uh, legitimate divorce, there are countless others that were done for selfish reasons. And for Christians, any talking about divorce, any conversation about divorce, leads us to this passage, leads us to 1 Corinthians 7. There are other passages for sure, but this is a key passage when we're talking about divorce and understanding divorce. But here's what we also need to recognize, is that too often Christians have sort of use this passage to, to worry about and figure out what are the, what are the boundaries for divorce? What allows me to, to get a divorce and not? And we miss the bigger part of this passage, the more important piece of this passage. Yes, it's about divorce, but more so, it's about what marriage is meant to be. It's about the purpose and meaning of marriage and, and loving your spouse. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to I focus and I want to hone in on the heart of this passage, which is honor marriage and love your spouse. That's, that's the main idea for us this morning. After everything else that this passage says, at the heart of it is this point, honor marriage and love your spouse. And look, when it comes to applying this passage to specific relational conflict and marriage dynamics or whether or not that, that marriage has entered into the grounds of biblical divorce, like look, you can't cover that in a sermon. Like dealing with specific pain and specific conflict and specific relationships takes up close and personal pastoral care and counsel. You can't sort of just pastor broadly in a sermon. And so what I'm not going to do is try to pick through all of the nuances of whether or not a marriage it can it has grounds for biblical divorce or not. What I want to do is I want to talk about what this passage holds out for us and how it pushes us into what is true and good and beautiful in marriage. And if we get that, if we hone in on that, if that's what's shaping our hearts, then we will fortify ourselves against divorce. We will have be a church culture that pushes back against the easy divorce of our culture and will strengthen our marriages. So that's where I want us to, to follow this passage this morning. And so... Here's what we're going to first look at. We're going to first look at how the Apostle Paul lands at this point of honoring marriage. And to set a little context for us, which we did a little bit of this last week, but just as a a way to kind of remind us what's going on in this passage. Uh, Overall, in the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul had been dealing with their love affair with worldly wisdom. The, The Corinthian church had grabbed hold of what they thought was worldly wisdom was going to make them spiritual. And they believe that, hey, what I need to chase after is status and success and power. That will make me spiritually mature. If I have those things, then I'm truly spiritual. Or I can use my faith, my spirituality, as a means to gain status and success and power. And so the the Corinthians had so bought into this mindset that one of the things they were doing was justifying sexual immorality, and we saw that several weeks ago. But what they were also doing is they were starting to punt on their marriages and marital relationships. So last week we saw them adopting this attitude that, hey, since in the new age we won't be married and be given into marriage, then if I'm going to be spiritual, I should live that way. So there's no purpose in having sex in marriage. That, that whole act of self-giving that is meant to be in marriage, I don't need to do that anymore. And not only were they doing that, there were some that were going so far as to completely Jettison their marriages altogether. They thought they were so wise, so knowledgeable, so spiritual, that they had risen above the institution of marriage. They thought, hey, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to experience sort of spiritual self-actualization, if I'm going to be my best spiritual self, my truest spiritual self, my most fulfilled spiritual self, if that's going to happen, I need to divorce my, my spouse so I can live as one in the new age. And does this not sound like the attitudes in our culture. Boy, if I'm gonna be my truest self, my, my happiest self, my most fulfilled self, then maybe I need to walk the path of divorce to experience that. When my marriage is no longer accomplishing those things, then I have every right to kick it to the curb in order to experience my best and truest self. And the Apostle Paul confronts this mindset, goes hard and direct to this mindset. He writes this in verses 10 and 11. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife is not to leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. So essentially Paul is saying this, Corinthians, the wisdom you're following says, hey, to be spiritual, I can punt on my, on my marriage and I can, I can walk away from my marriage. I'm telling you, I'm commanding you that a wife should not leave her husband and a husband should not divorce his wife. Now, leave and divorce, it's, the same, it's saying the same thing in two different ways. And so there's not two different dynamics Paul's describing. It's all divorce here. And Paul's also quick to point out, this command is not just coming from me. This command comes from the Lord Jesus himself. I am repeating to you what he himself taught. And so in the gospel of Matthew, chapter five, as part of his sermon on the mount, Jesus confronts those religious leaders and people in the community that taught and supported that a man could walk away from his wife, could easily divorce his wife. He's confronting with force those who would abuse the Old Testament and abuse God's word in order to justify easy divorce. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 31 and 32. It was said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, Everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so while the Corinthians and the Jewish leaders before them taught that, hey, it's okay to get a divorce, and even a divorce might be spiritually mature, Jesus is saying, look, if you walk away from your marriage for anything else than biblical grounds, you're actually compounding sin. Because what Jesus points out here is it's not just the sin of divorce that comes into play, adultery is now introduced. What does that mean? Because in the Jewish culture, here's what would happen. A man, typically a man, would leave his wife, and and when a wife was left, she was usually left in a condition of helplessness and destitution, and often the only recourse to sort of rescue her out of poverty was to get remarried. And what Jesus says is what happens when you divorce your wife is when your wife remarries she enters into a relationship, and that's adultery. And the man who marries her commits adultery because in the eyes of God, that marriage bond and that covenant have not been severed. But notice what Jesus says. Pay very close attention to what Jesus says in verses 31 and 32. Who is at fault most? Who does Jesus lay the most guilt on top of? The man who divorces his wife. Does the wife sin? Yes. But Jesus says, you cause her to sin. And so Jesus puts the bulk of the guilt, the bulk of the blame on the man who will easily divorce his wife. And this is the counsel the Apostle Paul repeats in verses 10 and 11. He says, wives, don't leave your husbands. And husbands, don't divorce your wives. And if you happen to do that, don't get remarried. Keep the, the sin sort of contained. Better to just sin there than for your sin to spread and adultery to be thrown into the picture. But he's saying, don't divorce, rather reconcile. Don't listen to the lie of the culture that tells you that divorce is a path to your best self and your truest self. Don't don't listen to the lie that somehow divorce is a spiritually mature move that you should make in order to experience the fullness of spiritual life. You see, marriage, marriage is not something we can just toss aside. Marriage is not something that we can just give up on and say, this is over because it's not making me happy like I thought it would. It's not giving me the identity I thought it would. It's not fulfilling me like I thought I would. We don't just kick this relationship to the curb. Now listen, I understand. I understand marriage isn't easy. Friends, I know it is hard. Next month, Mindy and I are going to be celebrating 14 years of marriage I love my wife. <laughs> She's my best friend in the whole world. Like, I have a lot of really great friends, but I, I'm, I'm honest, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you this, that if I had to get locked in a room with just Mindy for the rest of my life and couldn't see any of my other friends, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Like, that would, in some ways, that would actually be, be like, awesome, cool, great. I'm locked in a room with my best friend. I love my wife. We have a good, strong marriage, but I would be lying to you if I didn't say that we have had some very difficult, soul-piercing, rough patches in our marriage. we haven't had conflict that has caused us to wonder about the future of our relationship. Conflict that hasn't rocked us to our very core. You know, we know pain. We know hardship. I know marriage is difficult. And I know for some of you, you're in the, th- you're in the throes of that. You're in the mix with that. Your marriage feels like just a lot of pain and conflict right now. But what this verse calls you to, it says don't believe the lie that divorce is going to make it better. Don't believe the lie that if you chase divorce, that is going to lead to something good and godly. Rather, it's going to lead to something destructive. And Paul calls this out not to bash the Corinthians over their head, not, not to threaten them and make them feel guilt and shame, but to push them on what marriage is intended to be. This is to push them deeper into what marriage means and why this relationship is so important. Back in March, we, during our Relationships Reformed series, we, we, we talked about marriage. And we looked at this passage from Ephesians 5, where the Apostle Paul talks about this profound truth about marriage. And I think it's worth returning to that just very briefly. At the, at the end of a section where he's addressing husbands and wives, this is what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. It's kind of interesting how Ephesians and Matthew line up here. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. And so the Apostle Paul quotes from Genesis 2, which is this great declaration of the unity and the bond that takes place in marriage. But what is he quick to do? He's like, hey, that, that unity, that bond, that one fleshness, you know what it ultimately points to? The union between Christ and his church. For, for, for all the beautiful, beautiful physical and spiritual and emotional intimacy and union that between a husband and a wife, all of that is intended to point to the relationship between Christ and his church. Your marriage is meant to point to something greater than itself. He says, look, while human love, even in the best forms, is shot through with sin and dysfunction, Jesus loves his church with a perfect love, an unbreakable love. Jesus loves his church with a perfectly sacrificial love that saves and redeems us. Jesus loves us with a perfectly strong love that holds us and sustains us through every trial, sin, and suffering and pain. Jesus' love perfectly sustains us. Even in the midst of our fleeting feelings and being entangled in sin, it never gives up and never lets go and it never stops. In the covenantal relationship that Jesus has with his church, with his people, what do we experience? We experience the fullness of grace and mercy and joy and love and friendship and safety and fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That is who we experience flourishing and fulfillment in. And in that covenant he makes with you, This is what he does. He unites himself to you. His life in you and your life in him. His very resurrection power now in you. And what do we do, church, in response to all that Christ is for us and all that he does for us? We respond, that's our beloved That's our Lord and our Savior, the one who has rescued and redeemed us, the one who has defeated the power of sin and death in our lives and has set us free, the one that we now love and worship and adore and give our entire lives to. That relationship between Christ and his church and all the beauty that it is, that's what your marriage is meant to point to. This is what the Apostle Paul is pushing the Corinthians into. He's pushing them into this beautiful, incredible truth. Why am I telling you not to divorce Corinthians? Because I want you to look at what marriage means. Your marriage is meant to model this love. Your marriage is meant to reflect Christ's relationship with his church. And so for all of the covenantal commitments and love and service and sacrifice and joy and intimacy and friendship and forgiveness and faithfulness between a husband and a wife and a wife and a husband, all of that follows the model of Christ and his church. That love is meant to define the love in your marriage. Friends, your marriage it is meant to display the power of the gospel as you love one another sacrificially. And your marriage is meant to declare the power of the gospel as your marriage points to the promises of the gospel and the relationship between Christ and his church. This is why God says, don't get divorced. Because divorce does violence not just to marriages and the relationship between men and women. It also seeks to rob Christ's glory. It seeks to obscure and cloud over the relationship that Christ has with his church so that people won't see that gospel love. This is why the Apostle Paul calls them not to divorce, not with threats, not with guilt and shame, but with a picture of what marriage is intended to be. And so church, friends, let's reject the expressive individualism that tells us that we can just jettison our relationships and punt on our marriages when we're not experiencing the joy and the fulfillment and the happiness and the identity we thought we would. When things get difficult and there is conflict and there is hardship and there is pain, let's not punt on our marriages. Now understand this. If you in your pride long for an unbiblical divorce, if that's what you're longing for because you're... you're relationship and your marriage is not giving you the happiness and fulfillment you thought it was, then this passage does push on you. Oh, this passage does confront you. This passage does come at you and warn you. Understand, God hates divorce, as Malachi 2.16 tells us. God hates divorce, And if you persist in that sin, God will bring judgment because God is just and he is good and he hates anything that will cloud the glory of his beloved son and that does damage and destruction to people because God is just, because he is good, because he loves people. He will bring judgment to those who do destruction through ungodly divorce. If that's you, then this passage is pushing hard. However, I know that for most of you in the room, This dynamic falls more on the conflict and the struggle that you're in. It's not that you're pridefully just wanting to punt on this relationship because you just want out and and you you want to be fulfilled, whatever that means. It's probably more, hey, marriage is hard and that conflict has got the best of you and you're in the throes of that. You're in the midst of being hurt by your spouse and hurting your spouse and being sinned against by your spouse and sinning against your spouse. And, And all of that is going on hey, here's what I want you to understand about this passage. The Apostle Paul's words, God's word come to you, not as a bludgeon, not as a brick to the face, not as a big bucket of shame, but as a call to turn from a destructive path that your pain and your conflict contempt you towards, to turn from a destructive path and run to the very thing that your marriage is intended to point to, running to Jesus because Jesus loves his bride. Jesus loves his people. He served and he sacrificed for them, washed away all their guilt and all their shame, united them to himself so they can experience his resurrection power and the spirit can renew and restore them. The very thing that you need, the very hope that you need, comes from the thing your marriage is intended to point to. And so this morning, are you facing conflict? Are you in the throes of conflict? Are you feeling discouraged and beat down by that conflict? Have you, have you lost hope? Have you given up on hope? Friend, don't run to divorce. Don't run to divorce. Don't believe the lie that that is the path to a better life. But also don't do this. Don't white knuckle it. Don't, don't sort of resign yourself to say, hey, you know what? Um, my marriage is never getting any better, but I know I can't get divorced, and so I'm going to make a do with life and just try to get along with my spouse the best I can. Friends, white-knuckling your marriage and living with low-grade bitterness, that's not what Christ has called you to. That's not what he's called your marriage to be. Also, don't do this. Don't, in the midst of conflict and, and being a jerk to your spouse, pull this passage out and go, well, you can't divorce me. You know what that is? Manipulation. That is a mishandling of God's word, and at worst, it's spiritually destructive. Don't do that. That is not what God has called you to. Rather than divorce or white knuckling or manipulation, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Because here's the promise of the gospel here's the hope for you in Christ that all of your sin, All of your shame, all the ways that you've hurt your wife and all the ways you've been hurt by your wife, all the ways you've hurt your husband and been hurt by your husband, all of that, Jesus takes on the cross, takes on himself so that you can be fully forgiven and washed clean of your guilt and your shame. And not only can you be washed free of your guilt and your shame and be renewed and restored in Christ, so can your marriage. Your marriage can be wiped clean, washed clean of all the guilt and the shame and the ugliness that you have inflicted on one another. And I know that because I know God is faithful, I know the promises in his word, and I've seen it happen in some of your lives. I've seen the power of the gospel at work. Jesus wants to heal and restore your marriage, and that doesn't come through divorce and through white knuckling and through manipulation. Friends, again, I know that it can be hard. I'm not minimizing the work. I'm not minimizing the pain. Like some of this is going to require a lot of humility and patience and godly counsel. It's going to be a lot of confession. It's not going to be through a lot of finger pointing, but it's going to be through confession and humility. I'm also not saying that, hey, it's a 50-50 deal. Look, I understand in some marriages, one, one party can be more of the sinner and the other one sinned against But again, that requires humility and patience and godly counsel. I'm not minimizing any of that. This takes work. It takes very precise work and long work. But here's what I know. The love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit are stronger than any sin, more powerful than any sin. Through the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit, your marriage can be redeemed and restored and renewed. Through the power of the gospel, you can honor marriage. Through the power of the gospel, you can love your spouse. Through the power of the gospel, your marriage can display the love Christ has for his church. All of that is possible through God. All that is possible through Christ. You don't need to run to divorce for those of you that are walking with people in conflict hey can you do me a favor don't use this passage as a weapon don't bludgeon people over the head with this like look sometimes there are going to be prideful people that need to be confronted that's what Jesus did in Matthew 5 he was confronting prideful people but often more often the case here's what we're dealing with sinned against sinners sinned against sinners And so they say and do things out of a place of pain and exhaustion. And so every time someone throws out the D word, don't hit the nuke button and start freaking out and start quoting 1 Corinthians 7 to them as if the world is falling apart. Rather, listen well. Ask questions. Enter in. Point them to the power of the gospel and the hope that they have for their marriage and walk with them to Jesus. Like anyone can quote verses at people. And anyone can throw verses. 1 Corinthians 7, Matthew 5. Faithful disciples of Jesus walk with people. They enter in alongside and they take people to Jesus. Can we do that? Can we do that, church? Can we love people this way in the midst of their marital conflict? That's what God is calling us to as we honor marriage and love our spouses and love those who are in conflict. Now, from this principle of honor, marriage, and love your spouse, the Apostle Paul turns, the attention, turns, turns his attention to a potentially difficult situation, one that, that some of you I know have experienced. And he applies this to what, what could be a potential for divorce. Married couples where one spouse is a believer and the other isn't. He begins in verse 12 by saying this, but I, not the Lord, say to the rest. And now, I want to say just something quick here about this opening statement here. When Paul says, but I, not the Lord, say to the rest, what the Apostle Paul is not saying is, hey, what I quoted before was from the Lord and that is authoritative, now I'm just giving you some advice. No, no, what he is saying is, hey, I am speaking this, I'm not, I'm not repeating what the Lord has said, the Lord didn't address this situation, I'm building off of what he said, but Paul knew that he was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He knew what he was saying was authoritative. And so we don't get to sort of just punt on what the apostle Paul says here as him just merely giving advice. Okay, got that clear? Good. Now here's the counsel that he gives in verses 12 and 13. If any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. And so you being a believer and your spouse not is not grounds for you to divorce them. And so in one sense, Paul again is addressing what potentially could be some arrogance on the part of the Corinthians. They could have this attitude of, hey, I want to be super spiritual and I can't be defiled by anyone. And so for me to be my best spiritual self, I need to divorce this unbelieving spouse. But it could also be asked, in an actual honest way. I mean, earlier in in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, don't you understand how a little leaven leavens a whole lump? And so the Corinthians could think, hey, being married to an unbeliever, does this affect my relationship with Jesus? Does it violate my relationship with Jesus? Does it harm my relationship with Jesus? Well, as Paul says here, the answer is pretty clearly no. That being married to a non-Christian does not, does not have grounds for divorce. You cannot use the, well, I'm going to be corrupted by them and so I have a right to divorce them. Paul says no. Why is that? Well, first because of the effect you being a follower of Jesus has on your spouse. Here's what he says in verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy by the husband. And so your faith in Jesus makes your spouse holy. What what does that mean? When we think of the word holy, typically what we think is moral purity. If I'm holy, I'm morally pure. Does your being married to your spouse who isn't a believer make them morally pure, even though they're not in Christ? No, that's not what Paul is saying. The more central meaning of the word holy is set apart, marked with a special purpose, set aside for something. And so, in in God's word, we see this word applied in this way multiple places. In the Old Testament and New Testament, God's people are called a holy nation. Is this because they were so morally pure? If you read the Bible, you know the answer is no. (laughs) But why? God had set them apart. You're mine. You're set aside for a special purpose. In the Old Testament, there were particular tools that were called holy that were used in the temple because they had a special purpose. They were set aside. To be holy is to be marked with special purpose. And so your spouse, because they are married to you, are marked as holy. There's a a mark on them. They've been set aside for a special purpose. Don't miss this because, listen, as evangelicals, we we sometimes get this so backwards because we're so, so easily given over to running around trying to avoid sin and we're fearful. And so what we'll hear is this. My unbelieving spouse is going to defile me. When Paul is saying this, Your unbelieving spouse doesn't define you, you define them. Like rather than them defiling you, you make them holy. It's the opposites. God has marked them, set them aside. He has put his hand on them for a special purpose. And so, what this means is that you don't have to fear being married to a non believer, you don't have to fear being defiled. You don't have to fear that this effect is going to damage your relationship with Jesus. Rather, you can have hope that God has his hand on your spouse. He has marked them. He's at work in their life. Paul has tremendous hope in this situation. In verse 16, he writes this, Wife, for all you know, you might save your husband. Husband, for all you know, you might save your wife. How different than, oh man, you better watch out. They might defile you. Oh, you better better watch out. They might damage your relationship with Jesus. Paul is taking the opposite approach. He's saying God has his hand. He's marked. They're holy. You you could be the very instrument through which God uses to save them. Spouse, husband, wife, if you are married to a non-Christian, you have tremendous hope. And the same thing for your kids. Paul says, otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. And so your unbelieving spouse is not a curse on your children. Your unbelieving spouse is not a shame on them. They, they don't defile them. They don't prevent them from following Christ. They've been marked as holy as well. They, they've been set apart for God's purposes. So the, the, the thing that defines that relationship between a believer and non-believer in marriage is hope, is hope. And so, for those of you that this is your reality, this is your world, and I know some of you have first city, this is your world, Hey, I know that is hard. I'm not going to, again, minimize it. There's some challenges there. But I want you to hear that you don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in fear. You can live in incredible hope. You can live with hope that God has marked your spouse. He's at work in their life, and he's using you. He's using you for their good and his glory. And look, yes, challenge. Yes, it doesn't guarantee anything it doesn't guarantee that things are going to work out exactly as you hope and yes at times you may be in conflict with your spouse because you are loyal to jesus above them but don't miss this you have hope You can live in hope. You can be married in hope. You can honor marriage and love your spouse. You can pray in hope and serve your spouse in hope. You can have this expectation that God is at work and we will pray as a church that your spouse will come to know Christ. And so First City Church, also, here's a word for us. We get so bogged down in this passage, again, looking for, hey, where are the boundaries for biblical divorce? And we miss what Paul is calling us to, encourage our brothers and sisters who are married to non-Christians. We need to be encouraging them because it is a hard road. We need to be praying for them and praying for their spouse. We need to be opening up our arms in hospitality, welcoming that unbelieving spouse into this community, loving them well, serving them well, praying for them, holding out the gospel, and have this expectation that Christ can save them. This is what this passage calls us to, an incredible amount of hope. Now, sadly, sadly there are times When an unbelieving spouse may may leave a believing spouse. And when this happens, as Paul states in verse 15, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Look, if an unbelieving spouse leaves you, you're not in sin to let them go. You're no longer bound to that relationship, that covenant but, but can, can I also say this to you? I want you to hear this this morning. Look, if you have experienced that or you had a spouse, an unbelieving spouse, leave one that, that never professed faith or one that, that abandoned you and left you and was showing they were rejecting Christ through their actions, hey, it's not as if you failed. Look, it's not as if you didn't love your spouse enough or fight for your marriage enough Or care enough. Yeah, I know you would admit sin because you're humble. I know you would admit sin. Yeah, I know you'd say, hey, I brought problems. But look, the fact that your marriage failed and dissolved doesn't mean that you failed. Don't listen to the shame. Don't don't take on those lies that want to beat you down and say, look what you did. Look at the mess you made. Look how you failed. It's all your faults. And even more, here's what I want you to hear you are not a pariah in this church. You're not a second-class citizen. We love you. You are you're, you're welcome here. We want you to be a part of this. And not as someone who sort of sits in the back row with a big D hanging over their head and says, well, I'm kind of here, but I kind of got to keep a low profile and hang back in the corner. No. You're our brother. You're our sister. You're family. We love you and we want you to be fully present, fully here, using your gifts, using your talents, serving the Lord, serving others, being on mission with us. You're a fully recognized, all rights and privileges member of this church. Do not listen to shame that wants to put you in the corner. Because more than our love for you, God loves you. Your Father loves you. He cherishes you. And the grace of Christ that rescued and redeemed you is at work in your life, and the Holy Spirit is renewing and restoring you. That is your hope. Don't listen to the lies of shame. Don't listen to the lies that want to put you in the back and cause you to hold back. No. You're a beloved son or daughter of God, and you're a beloved member of this church. And Finally, let me say this. For those of you here this morning that... Um, Maybe you have initiated an unbiblical divorce. You, you've done that or um, you, you, you're planning to do that. You're in the midst of that. Hey, hey if you hear this and, and you're, you're, you're experiencing some guilt and some shame, kind of the weight, weightiness and the conviction, that's good. Conviction of sin is good. That's the spirit pressing in on you. That is good. But I don't want you to just stay in that guilt and shame. I don't want you to slide into self-pity. I want you to hear this, that the grace of God is greater than any sin, even the sin of unbiblical divorce. Even the sin of unbiblical divorce. When you turn to Christ, your guilt and your shame can be washed away. You can be fully and completely forgiven. You can be welcomed into the family of God, cherished as a son or as a daughter. You can have Christ's life in you, his resurrection power, living and working in you, the power of the Holy Spirit, renewing and restoring you. Don't resign yourself to your guilt. Don't resign yourself to your shame. Don't resign yourself to God's righteous judgment. You can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. You can be healed. And you can experience renewal and reconciliation and restoration. And so let me encourage you, turn to Christ turn to Jesus because here's the promise of the gospel for all who turn from their sin and turn to Christ God is willing and he is faithful and he is just to forgive all of your sin and cleanse all of your unrighteousness for city let us let us honor marriage because of what marriage points to and in our marriages let us love our spouses as Christ has loved his bride And let us push back on a culture of divorce. Let's fortify against divorce in this church and push back against in our culture, not through threats and not through beating people over the head, but by holding out the beauty and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's through the gospel that we honor marriage and love our spouse. Amen.